Hey ladies, it's Ashley, and you're listening to the podcast Penthouse to Pentecost. The name might sound extreme, but isn't that just like our God? He parts seas. He brings the dead to life. He makes extreme moves. He spared nothing to find me. My name's Ashley, and to the world I'm nobody, but to God I'm the one he left the 99 for. And he's leaving the 99 for you too. In this podcast, From Penthouse to Pentecost, I discuss deep, real, raw topics of what living in the valley of the shadow of death is like and how I and many other women were redeemed from a life of living hell. Disclaimer. Topics discussed here may not be suitable for young ears. I want to start in prayer, and we're going to do all those good things. And I'm really excited. Um, I'm really nervous because I just am intimidated by you. Oh, no! (laughs) But I know it's, it's like... My insecure, you know, like it's not growth, encouragement to grow. Take it as like, I want to help you grow. Take it as I love you. And, and I think it's because I just think so highly of you, you know, and like you're, you just, I don't know. I just really look up to you and respect you. And so I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why. I love the vulnerability. (laughs) I know we're not supposed to hit your table, but I'm going to hold your hand. And I love that vulnerability. And I appreciate that so much. I appreciate you taking the time and. You've asked me about my morning, and I haven't asked you about yours. How's your day it's been? so fine. Good. This is not like a tit-for-tat world, right? Like, right. I think sometimes what's hard as humans, and I fall into this camp, is it's hard to receive. Mm. Um, like, how many times does someone say, oh, gosh, it was so great that this. And you're like, oh, it wasn't a big deal. And it's like, yeah. all you do is say you're welcome. Like, yeah. it's, it's like giving someone that gift. I have a family that I'm working with in Illinois that wants to adopt, and they want to adopt four kids. It's on their heart. They they want a sibling group, which is incredibly amazing. But they have this doubt of, well, we don't have enough. Insert the thing. We don't have enough resources to fix our basement up. We don't have enough yeah. this. And I've been trying to walk them through that. You know, God put people on this planet to give. Like stewardship is across the entire body, right? And for some, that give is to open your home. And for some, that give is to build your home. And mm. when you don't let people in. And not that you have to make like a, you know, worldwide announcement, but when you don't give people that opportunity, you're kind of not letting part of the body grow. That's so good. And it's so hard to hear that though. Yeah. Right? Because there's this vulnerability. Their question was, well, are we a charity? And I said, what if you're a domestic missionary? How Mm. does that feel? How does it feel for people to surround you to do what God's called you to do? And it's not them having pity on you. It's them using their gift to, to help make that you possible. Use your gift. Exactly. And That's you've done so that. Good. You're doing that right now. You're holding a microphone. It's your it's your audience. <laughs> and I'm just here to be able to shine a light on that. So I thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. So I wanna um I wrote down a prayer because beautiful. I was just feeling something. So let's just start there. Okay. Oh God, we, we love you. We love your intricate design and your thoughtfulness for us. You're truly beautiful in all ways, and we love you because you loved us first. Even in our darkness, you long to know us and to be known by us. Thank you for showing your face. Thank you for giving us freedom in Jesus' name. Thank you for Marcy and this beautiful call you've set on her life and in and through her family. We ask that you would use this recording to touch the hearts of your children that you would use us as vessels for your love, and that you would be the loudest voice in this room, that we would walk out bolder and more confident in your love and in your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So 
Um, I was thinking about all these titles that you carry <laughs> and, um, you know, the, the founder of the Forgotten Adoption Option, podcaster, author, Miss Ohio or Mrs. Ohio yeah. 2022 and um, mother and child of God. Did you want to add any? Wife. <laughs> the other piece yeah. of that. Uh, failure. <laughs> right. Like saved by grace. There's, there's so much in that living by faith. Yeah. You know, so um, can you just tell me a little bit about how did you come to adoption? I know that I've, I've read your post, but yeah, you know. well, adoption's an interesting thing. So I became a believer right before high school and through my seventh grade locker partner, which is like a really sweet story. My kids are in middle school, so I find it like really neat to help them see like there's a ministry field. Like you never know yeah. how God's going to use you in someone's life. And Fast forward, um, I had finished college. I was in my early 20s. I had the opportunity with my church to go serve in Moldova, which is in Western Europe, and I was at an orphanage. And I was spending a lot of time with these teen girls, and I learned that the reason they were there is because their families dropped them off there. And they dropped them off there because they didn't have the means to feed them and to care for them. And the horrific detail of that, in my mind, is as a parent, you're thinking, and like now I know this is a parent, like you're thinking, oh, they're going to provide for my children. And they are for a time. Most often these girls leave this orphanage and they become prostitutes. And it's this sad cycle, right? And I'm making Ashley cry. <laughs> and I'm trying to tell you this at the same time. Sorry. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good because it's real. It's, it's These are real realities. And I remember coming back from that trip and I remember being, I was living in Nashville at the time. And I remember thinking, I'm going to adopt. I, I'm just, I, that's what I'm going to do. And I don't know when or how or if I'm going to be married or not. I just know that I want to go get those girls. And I want to go help kids that all they need is stability. And all they need is a way to not repeat cycles or be yeah. forced into things that aren't letting them be their fullest, right? So fast forward, I met my husband actually at that church that my seventh grade locker partner, partner um, introduced me to at the time. He was dating someone. So a decade later, we're at a mutual friend's wedding, sparks fly on the dance floor, literally, and we hit it off, and our relationship got really serious really fast. We had so much history on each other that, like, it wasn't a big deal. So we're a few months in, and we start talking about marriage, and I said, hey, and I'm thinking this will be a deal breaker, and it's okay because I know what God's called me to. And I told my husband, Nathan, I said, I just want to let you know I have no interest in conceiving biological children. I don't know if that works or not in my body. I don't know if it works in my future spouse's body. I just know that that's my desire. Hmm. And to me, it felt like this dead silence for like 10 <laughs> minutes, right? But he just looked at me and said, oh, me too. And I was kind of like super shocked by this going, what? And he said, well, my grandfather, Sam, was born in the 1920s in St. Louis. And when Sam was about seven years old, and this is like, if you can rewind, because we're kind of in the era of COVID, healthcare is such a different animal in the 1920s. There's not a lot of remedy or cure for anything. Yeah. And Sam's mom and dad, within a few months of one another, got pneumonia, and it killed them. And it left Sam and his two older siblings orphaned. And Sam was seven and a young boy. And if you can imagine the trauma of the loss and the grief of a sudden situation like this um sam's older two siblings were adopted by a family who had a farm because they could work they could be extra hands and sam was left to the streets and sam grew up on the streets and sam had a really roughy rocky childhood adolescence teenager you name it uh he begged for food he slept in the back of grocery stores some people had pity on him would give him things and he had a really strong relationship with the police because he got in a lot of trouble and you can imagine all that led to that right yeah. and um 
that's kind of the backstory for our um, our intention as a family to adopt. Sam ends up, just to kind of closure for people that are thinking, this is so sad. Sad actually, Sam one day um, is in the back of the police car and the officer says, okay, Sam, we're done. Like next time it's behind bars, like you're getting too old for this. So I'm going to drop you off at this church over here. Well, you know, maybe you'll be a changed man, but like you got to stop what you're doing. And the story goes, he walks into this church, the doors open, and there is a woman teaching who becomes his wife. And Sam creates his own family. And so that's kind of where my husband and Sam have this incredible relationship. Um, I never got to meet Sam. He passed away before we got together. And so what happened is as we get married, I start digging into the space of adoption. And it's so confusing because there's not a lot of information. And my husband said, okay, my only caveat is they have to be in the U.S. Because my, my, my grandpa, Sam, was in the U.S. And so I was like, okay, got it. And I was like, well, my caveat is they can't be babies. And to figure that out was yeah. like so so hard to figure out actually it's so strange like adopting older kids in the u.s is like not an easy google term um and so that really led us into the space of searching and researching and it took us like five years to one day it was actually during the month of november the church we were at had what they called an orphan cry expo where for a couple of weekends they brought in ministries of global orphan organizations so ones that were local national international that were helping kids in situations where they needed help and we learned about a local nonprofit that was licensing Christian families to foster and or adopt through foster care. Wow. We went to the table. It was empty, but there was a packet. We grabbed the packet. And my husband, we get home, and it's like two pages front and back for the application for the state of Missouri to get licensed to adopt through foster care. And it was the funniest story because at bedtime I was like, hey, I think we should start filling this out. And my husband kind of got cold feet and was like, well, you're not really going to mail it, right? And I was like – so how about like every night we just do a page <laughs> and I just didn't really answer him. And so we got thrown into this world um, that we had no idea what we were saying yes to. Mm. And that's OK. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I did mail in the application. <laughs> but, I mean that, but we had this one question on there that was, you know, how many kids and what ages? And we knew we wanted a grandpa Sam. So we put like four to ten years old. And then it came to number of children. And we had never, ever talked about family size. And I was like, my family's jumbo. Like, lots of kids, please. And he was like, okay, so actually choose my max. <laughs> and so I was like, well, cool. What I'll do is say two at a time. We'll just do siblings because I have three siblings. And I could only imagine in my mind what that would have felt like to be separated. So that's yeah. kind of what started our path on getting into the foster care adoption space. I love that so much. And I, I think that what made me emotional is, like, as soon as you came to Christ – you were given this opportunity and this this calling really mm -hmm. and then you saw it through and and that god would match you up with a, a husband that would have that same calling like like i was just saying i, I didn't he's so intricate and yeah. intimate and he loves us so much and now you're being able to be be used not only in your children's lives but also to help families get united and that's just so beautiful to me and like I don't know what scripture it is because I'm really bad at, at memorizing things, but like our true worship is to, our religion is mm. to care for the widows and the orphans. And like, it just touches my heart so much that you're doing that. Sorry. So this water is for you, by oh. the way. <laughs> so I can drink between your tears. Yeah. So well, what's interesting though, Ashley, is I didn't, I didn't see the call. Like, like I saw, I guess I saw a part of the call. I saw that I was supposed to care and be a mom yeah. in this space. But what I didn't understand was once we filled that application out, kind of a whirlwind of a story, but we were introduced to our children and we're told in four months, you can go set a court date. 
There's a little bit of legal stuff to hash out. And nine months into our kids living with us, there was no court date. And in fact, they weren't even sure there would be a court date for adoption. And I remember sitting in my bathroom, the master bathroom, you know, private for my children are in bed. I remember just weeping on the floor and inside of me going, hey, God, like, are you sure you wanted me to do this? Because Mm -hmm. I'm nine months in. Like, I could have been packing a bag for hopefully a healthy delivery at a hospital. And like, what are you doing? Because this isn't this isn't how it's supposed to go. Yeah. Right. And I, I spent some time in my own like self-pity. And it was so amazing how the Holy Spirit just like came that night. And I went to my husband and I was like, he does art. We have a studio in the basement. So I'm, I'm going down to him. And I said, Nathan, I have to think this is on purpose. And he was like, where are you going with this? And I was like, what if we're supposed to do something? What if there's like something special about it taking longer than we thought? And I said, can I blog? Can I blog our perspective as the parents? I was like, I don't know anyone else that's ever done this. Mm. And we talked about it, and we were like, well, there will be a, a few boundaries because we want to be really careful that it's it's our story and not our kid's story. And so we set two boundaries. It was we would never bad talk the bio family in any way, and we would never share publicly why our kids were in care because that was their story and not ours to tell. Yeah. And that's kind of where this whole thing birthed, actually, is I was blogging, and I would see a huge readership that was growing and growing every post, and I wouldn't get any interaction. And at first I thought, this is so vulnerable and I'm kind of mad at you, my reader, that I don't even know because you're not like affirming me, Mm -hmm. which is such a like petty human desire, right? Yeah. But what I've come to learn in this space is it's sort of like our spiritual lives that at some point we, we are confident enough in who we are in Christ that we talk about him. Yeah. But there's a season, at least for me myself, where like we don't necessarily want to push that too hard or we're not sure how to talk about that. Or maybe like I wasn't a Christian for years of my life. And so I didn't even know how to talk about what I was curious about in terms of like what is Christianity and who is Jesus, right? Yeah. And so I've come to learn that part of my role in this space is to welcome and love people that I may never know. I may never even know their names because they don't tell me who they are. But it's such a private, internal decision for people to say – okay, I want to go figure this out. And I recognize that there's a lot of emotional commitment that I'm making in this space and a lot of vulnerability that I'm giving myself. Mm. And so it's been really beautiful to kind of unpack that with other families as kind of the blog evolved into a book because we got the stimulus payments that many of us in the U.S. got. And my husband and I were both duly employed at the time. And we're like, we don't need this money. What do we do with it? We'd heard people were donating it. And we were like, well, how do you even know like where to decide to put that? And I'd started writing the process down of we had had families after the um, blog, we started getting contacted by friends and they would say, Marcy, my cousin, my mom, my whoever, my neighbor or me, I'm, I'm interested in doing this. Teach me. So we'd have them over after our kids would go to bed and we'd sit down for an hour or two in our living room and we just explain the process. And my husband would always tease me when they would leave. He was like, oh, I think you overwhelmed them. And I'm like, did I talk fast? And he's like, you did. And I was like, and he's like, you shared too much. And I was like, great, I hope they go do it. And they did, they did actually every time, but despite Mm. my humanity in that, like it it wasn't about the process as it's sexy and it's complicated and it's rocky. Yeah. They just didn't know how to do it. Right. So it didn't matter that you were making a cake in the kitchen that was going to, you know, make your kitchen a big mess to clean up. People didn't care. They were like, I want I want to help these kids. How do I do it? Yeah. And so those conversations during the pandemic um, kind of switched over to Zoom, which was good, but just not the same. And so with the stimulus payment, I went to my husband and said, well, what if our gift with it 
is to share these exact conversations we've been having in our living room with people we don't know all across the nation. What if this isn't limited to local anymore? Yeah. And we had a neighbor move in next door. Her and her husband um, became quick friends from a sidewalk from, you know, feet of distance. And we were very quick to explain that our family is created through adoption. And she said back to me, like, well, one day, will you teach me how to do this? And I said, hey, Paula, how about you edit my book and I'll write it to you. I'll write my book to you who knows nothing about this process and you can tell me what's missing. And so that's kind of what evolved to where where things have come. That is so beautiful. God is so good. I just love that so much. That's so beautiful. I was, um, me and my friend are studying Exodus together. And so we just got through, we just started. Um, So we're one through four. And in there, you know, Moses gets called. He's got like all this stuff going on. And then, um, then, part of God's plan he even tells him like you're not the Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened you know Mm -hmm. and this is part of the plan and so it's like this hiccup but then when it happens he's like God what is happening you know and and like it's you just lean into that like oh this is part of his plan too what if we're going through this hiccup to help people who are also going through it a huge hiccup you know hard to see Ashley right I'm sorry the the audience heard my popping water bottle but um it's I think it's hard to see that. I think it's hard to live in what feels heavy and it's hard. Like we had no idea what the outcome was. So there was a huge vulnerability on our part that we're like, we could be doing this and we might have to live out loud, whatever this, we've, we had conversations. I remember as we would like lay down and go to bed and I would tell my husband, I'm like, what if our kids are like, cause bio mom and bio dad were on different kind of plans of reunification. If that was even the possible plan and so at one point there was well marcy you guys live four hours from where these kids bios family their bio family is we should get them closer and we were like whoa whoa whoa. we were one of 10 families to apply there was only one family in your entire county who was like in their 60s or 70s like you don't have the families local we are happy to talk to our employers and we will travel as often as you need us to like this Mm. is not a barrier our kids need stability ashley we were their seventh family to live with wow and we met when my daughter was almost three and my son was four seven seven i had to teach my kids that there's a calendar and the calendar repeats itself. The holidays happen every year. The birthdays happen every year. They didn't understand that because they had so much disruption that like they didn't realize when their birthday was. And so we made this calendar on the fridge and had this cute like fuzzy turtle magnet and it would go down in order. There's like three columns of stuff on the fridge and we would help them see like there's months of the year. These are the months and these are the things that happen. But they just, they didn't have that sort of stability, which frankly is like, I would say, I would argue it's like 80% of what it takes to be a family to adopt through foster care. You're just providing stability. Yeah. And if you can do that, like you can totally do this. Emotions aside, like you can do this if you have some sort of rhythm in your family. You know, you guys eat dinner every day and maybe you have these different traditions that are part of it. Like just bringing a child or a sibling group into that is the gift. Yeah. So do you have any, like, any other calling to help more children in your family? Oh, I I love this question. (laughs) I love this question because I talk to my husband very, very often about this in terms of like, how many more kids can we help? So... The short answer is, I don't know, and I think it's a matter of time. Um, my husband and I have talked for a long time of, could we adopt teenagers? And the more we've kind of tried to assess and unpack and pray through that, it's, well, what if we're supposed to do that once our kids are oh. out of the house, what yeah. if, once we're empty nesters, however you want to say that. I'm like, I don't want my kids to leave anytime soon, but you understand <laughs> the point of that. Yeah. Um, but I will tell you, the deeper I've gotten into this work, uh, especially I published a children's book earlier this year 
called Are You a Forever Family? And in, in going through that, my kids are very much in the work that I'm doing. They've been on my podcast. Um, they try to make school assignments about foster care adoption as often as they can, and it cracks me up every time because my son will get like, his, he'll come home. My teacher told me this was a little bit complicated, and maybe I should switch topics. And I was like, what would you do? And he was like, well, I told her it was my story. And so like I totally needed to do this topic. And I was like, high five, man, you know? So there's stuff like that. But I think what's um, a real reality is the conversations we have in my home around the need right? That yeah. it's real. And and to hear my daughter reflect on all the things she learns about, you know, there's 115,000 children. I think the latest data as of this morning was 117,000 children in the United States are just waiting in foster homes to be adopted. Like they're not going back to their bio family. And her question has often been, well, mom, I don't get it. How come I'm in a forever family? How come I got to be one of the ones that doesn't have to wait anymore? And I don't have an answer for her, actually. I don't. And I'm just like, well, what can we do about it, right? Like, what can we – and she's like, well, Mom, she's like, it's also hard for me to hear when people say damaged. Like, they think I'm damaged because I was in foster care. There's all this, like, negative connotation to it. And we try to unpack that. And she's like, it just frustrates me because they don't even know me. And that's just, like, the phrase. And she was like, so I was older (laughs) than a baby, and so I went through life, right? Like, I went through stuff that makes some behaviors a little harder than others. And she's like, I'm not damaged. She's like, I wish people mm. would stop saying damaged. I wish they would understand that I just need some healing and I need a family and I just need some love. And so much of that, and my husband often says that too, like love can heal so many wounds, right? Like just loving someone through those hurts can make all the difference. Absolutely. Love covers a multitude. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. How old is she? She's 11. Wow. She has a very wise spirit. Yeah, she does. <laughs> I can <Yeah>. tell. That's <laughs> amazing. And how old is your son? He just turned 13. So we have a teenager, which people are like, oh my goodness, your kids are getting older. And I'm like, okay, let's be very factual. So <laughs> if you look at a lifespan of like 80 years, maybe shorter or longer, and you look at childhood, it's about 20% of our lives we live in childhood. And so I've been telling my kids from a very early age that I'm like, look, I never want to make you feel weird for going through puberty. I never want to tease you for getting taller. Like, we're just going to embrace all the stages. And so it's yeah. okay. You're supposed to grow up. That's part of God's plans for you. But I'll tell you something about my son. One of my um, favorite stories to share is when I was writing the Forgotten Adoption Option. On the back, there's this option of, like, what do you do as your author photo? And as I was trying to figure that out, I was like, this is not my face because this is, like, not my story. But I don't have the authority to just put a family photo on there. I need to talk with my family to see if that's even something they want to do. And my husband was right on board. He was like, you can use my face, of course, but, like, we should definitely ask the kids. And so I did. And and my kids were a few years younger at the point that we're having this conversation. And what I loved is my son's reaction was, well, Mom, if I say yes, do you think that another kid might get adopted? And, like, the sincere question in that to him, that he was like, do you think that my face is going to help another kid? And I hadn't thought through that, but I thought, yeah, actually – Absolutely, because for people to see how normal and how real our family is, that paints a picture of like, oh, 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 okay. I've had a lot of like fears in my head that really aren't real, right? And so just the sweetness in his tender heart to say, well, yeah, you can use my picture. I want to help a kid. That's what I want to do. I want to help more kids. That is so cool. You guys are such good parents (laughs) that you would have like kids that that are like thinking – you know, and I know that sounds like pretty basic, you know, but like that they would think like that. It's just amazing, really. Well, it's just using her story, right? Yeah. We, all, we all have them, regardless if adoption's in there or not. Yeah. Like, and I think that's part of what one of my like subconscious missions is I want adoption to be something we often know about people. I think it's 
in, at least in my childhood, it was very hidden. Yeah. We didn't really talk about it. You didn't really ask about it. Like, you might know a friend that's adopted, but, like, you'd never asked about the story. And I know sometimes that, that triggers a lot of pain. And I understand that, yeah. like, there's different – it doesn't work for, for everything. But I think in my family's scenario and what I think can be true throughout the foster care adoption space is the more we can just – share the story of how we became a family there's beauty there we don't have to go through all the details because I, I really and people I get I have a couple of people that have given me feedback of like well you didn't ever tell me why your kids were in care and I'm like deliberately I protected my children yes yes I did because yeah. that's not your business and I get yeah. that you're curious but go through the process yourself and go figure out your story yeah. <laughs> right and realize that this isn't this isn't your path to talk about right and you right? are being so vulnerable it's like well why aren't you all the way vulnerable right <laughs> like you you put a lot out there sure and, and and people heal because of it, and you're yeah. you're bringing families to to families, yeah. kids, and you know, oh, that is so cool. Um, so you kind of avoided my question a little bit, or you said, oh, are we, I think it's a later question right now. Yeah, so to really be more direct to the question, so my home has um, we have three bedrooms, and the rule in foster care is you have to have one bedroom per gender. Okay. So I technically have a girl's room and a and boy's room. room. Now, do I want to ask my children to share their rooms? We've, we've talked back and forth on this, and my husband is not on board at this point in time, which is completely fine because I think there's yeah. there's reason to that. I think part of it is, well, mom, you're being called to go help in these ways right now. This isn't probably the right time. Um, but there are things that I think as a family we could do and explore right now and anyone really could do right now. And one of those examples would be something called respite. Um, it's R-E-S-P-I-T-E. And Ashley's face was like, what? And I'm like, people don't know this word because I didn't yeah. know this word. But essentially, you go through like a couple-hour training with your state. They do a background check. And you become almost like a babysitter for children in foster care. And it's usually an overnight scenario. So we did this before we had our kids move in where there was a foster family. And um, we did it like three times. So one time it was, well, the foster family was traveling out of state. There's a lot of hoops you have to go through to bring the children in foster care with you. So we were matched with them and we kept the boys over actually a snowy like January. Um, so we had two brothers, they were four and eight. And then we also took care of a young man that was five. And I think we took care of him twice. He was just singly in care and he was being adopted by a grandparent in a different state. So that process just takes longer. Um, so respite is a really, really great way to get in a space with a very short-term commitment. I think it most families could ask you for like 14 days because they get a budget of like 14 days to do this a year. Um, and you can always say no. You can always say yes. Like there's never like, well, you have to because you're licensed. You do get a little bit of like a subsidy from the state because you, you're babysitting, if you will, in yeah. air quotes. And so, um, yeah, I just sent my husband a note this morning through one of the online um, – it was through Instagram, and it was a story that was highlighting a young boy – I believe he was in Kansas and he's little and just looking for his forever family. And the hard part, I think, in seeing some of those stories is like, your husband, like this boy's like really cute. Like, yeah. do you want to do three kids? Is that when we see these stories, I'm not licensed anymore. Like as soon as we finalized our adoption, we got rid of our license. And so even if my husband said, oh my goodness, yes, the likelihood of us adopting that young man is really slim because there are other families that are licensed that can go and apply right now. And that's one of the challenges in this space. If you've ever seen any of like Home for the Holidays, which is put on in December, if you've ever seen like the Heart Gallery, if you've ever seen Instant Family, like you can be motivated, which I think is great. Like I'm trying to motivate you right now, right? Yeah. To yeah. go and, and learn about these kids. But the hard part becomes when you see like a news segment about a sibling group or a kid and you think, oh, I'd love to adopt them. And I get families that come to me that have picked out the exact child or sibling group online that they want. And I think that's so good. Like you should go and try that on. But the reality is you emotionally being open that that 
95% of the time probably won't happen for you. And mm-hmm. some people get out of the process then because they thought, well, I fell in love with the idea of adopting these kids. And even in my own journey, um, this is kind of a, a fun fact that's in my book, The Forgotten Adoption Option, and my kids are very aware of this too, is my husband and I, we were getting licensed. Um, a friend of one of my sisters was a foster mom. And she had a brother and a sister. I think they were like 9 and 11 or nine, 10 and 11. And they were going on to the heart gallery. They had been waiting to be adopted for a long time. But their backstory was they were actually about to be adopted. In fact, they were living with the family that intended to adopt them. Mm-hmm. While they were living with the family, the adoptive mom got cancer. Wow. And when you're in foster care, that, that eliminates you because she has a chronic terminal illness. The children got put back into foster care, so they moved back in with my sister's friend. Mm. And my husband and I are getting licensed, and my sister and their friend are talking, and they were like, Marcy and Nathan, we think you guys should apply for these kids. And we were like, we know nothing about these kids. Wait, what? But we were like, but why not? Like, why not? And so we did, Ashley. We did, and in fact, we learned of extra training that was required because the kids were older and had experienced some additional traumas, and so we went through the training. And the process was slow, but I kept on the social worker, and I kept asking questions, and they finally scheduled interviews, and it was us and another family. And we interviewed, and my husband and I thought, this is so bogus. Like, we've never met these kids, but yet we're like, yeah, we'll take care of them for a lifetime. Like, you don't know anything about anything, but you're going because you feel like my heart wants to help, and we don't even know what's ahead of us, but we're willing, right? And we got a call a few hours later from our social worker that told us they went with the other family. And it was really great, actually, because the other family had an older son. This was going to be a great influence on the boy, especially, et cetera. So that was a great moment that we thought, well, we played a piece in that. Like, we helped move that forward by being persistent and we got more training which hopefully makes us ready in the future right yeah and we were also really sad about that Ashley and so my husband because we taken the day off work to the interview he heads up to the grocery store and he was like we're gonna stress eat what do you need and I was like I need Oreos and he was like great I'm gonna get a frozen pizza and we're just gonna like veg on the couch watch something and just eat our sorrows away right because it's emotional to be like rejected right yeah while he's at the grocery store, I open my phone and there's an email. And it's about two kids in some random city in Missouri that I've never heard of before. There's two of them and one's like two hours away and one's like four hours away and surely it's a two hour away one. And I'm skimming it trying to find the reason to reject this because usually there were a couple of things that we were like, if they've abused the animals, we have dogs, we're not going to say yes. And I couldn't find anything. And so I was like, well, the next thing that I should be doing based upon past history is responding to the social worker and getting her name in. I, as I'm reading through the email, the deadline's the next day. The children are younger than what we're licensed for. And so I was like, we have to, like, move on this. Yeah. So my husband comes in from the store, proud to have the Oreos and the pizza. And he was like, all right, I'm ready. And I was like, we need to talk. And I, I think I had messaged him while he was at the store, like, I have something to ask you when you get home. And so he was like, okay, what's going on? And I was like, this, this happened in my email box. And he looked at me and he goes, did you reply? <laughs> I said, no, but I drafted the reply. He was like, we should really sleep on this. And I was like, we can't. So see the fine, yeah, right. You can't. See the fine line here? Um, this is tomorrow. And like our social worker kind of has to like jimmy our, jimmy our little license. And he looked at me and he was like, I cannot believe you. Well, we turned it in. And that's actually how we met our kids. The next week, I got a call just asking a couple qualifying questions. My son has uh, smoke induced asthma. They wanted to know if he smoked. We don't. Um, and then we met our kids like the next day. So it was this super wow. whirlwind process, but it was out of rejection, Ashley. Like, yeah. And so I say that with the context of people looking online and, and seeing things. It's okay to go and browse and search. And in fact, you may end up adopting those kids. But having an openness of this might be the kind of kid or maybe this helped me decide it was a sibling group. Yeah. That Having that openness, I think, is really, really critical as people are going through the adoption process. Otherwise, if they're really – 
you know, bend that this is the exact kid when that child's no longer available because someone else was already in the process, you, you know, you kind of eliminate the opportunity to help a child who may need you. Yeah. That's so cool. Oreos. I love it. <laughs> that is so cool. Um. A common thing, because I, I, a lot of people reach out to me privately, and I encourage that. So if a listener, I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. If you want to direct message me, like, please do. I am here to help you. Um, and one of the most common things I hear from people is I'm on board, and it's usually a female if it's a heterosexual relationship, but my, my significant other is not what do I do? And some people hit this roadblock and think, okay, I'm out of, like, I can't do this. Yeah. What really is going on is you need to ask your spouse in a way that's very objective and you're in a really good spot with your heart to just listen why. And to listen to some fear and to listen to some childhood trauma and to sit with them and let them see what that is. And I think that's such a critical, critical step. Um, in my own relationship, I had some childhood trauma as my husband and I were unpacking things. And it came up because one of the questions they ask you is like, describe the relationship between this person in your life and this person in your life. And you're typing them in like a journal individually. So my husband has his own. And I recognize, oh my goodness, I have never gone through therapy for this stuff that I had happened to me in my childhood. And I could have just brushed that under the rug. And I could have been like, this makes me uncomfortable. Let's not do this process. But what I did instead is I had this aha moment of, wait a minute. If I can go through the vulnerability of going through therapy to talk to someone about all these details that I've never talked to anyone about, my husband knows like a piece, not this, you know, the whole story, could, could that make me more helpful to a child who's been in foster care? And I think in my situation, yes. Because it – and I think in most situations, I don't know of any situation mm. that would be a no. Because – my kids then, because of foster care and because of adoption, we went through play therapy. They were younger. Um, they're still doing various therapies, but it gave me this language to use about the name of my therapist and mm. how mom is talking to someone. And maybe I didn't go into depth about what that meant, yeah. but it became this dialogue in my family. Normal. Exactly. That was normal, that we could share that we were getting our own help because it's healthy to get help, right? Yeah. And so I want to share that with your listeners as an encouragement because maybe that's you or maybe that's your significant other or maybe there's another fear in the way that there is something that you're like, well, I'm really afraid about the behaviors. You know, unpacking that is the important part because we it is okay to be afraid. Like I remember one night talking to my husband about – because you, you send your name to different profiles and you're kind of waiting. And I remember reading the particular profile of a child and I talked to my husband and I was like, we just put our name in for this. But like what if – what if this child this or that or outrageous and yeah. I'm afraid? And he looked at me and he said, hey, so if we had biological children, do you think that wouldn't happen? Do you think that wouldn't be a risk? We wouldn't have any fears. Right. Do you think they wouldn't ever have those behaviors? Do you think mm. that that wouldn't be a fear we'd have? And I looked at him and I was like, okay. Yeah. Great point. Right. Really, really great point because you're right. Like there's no guarantee regardless of how you expand your family size yeah. on what the challenges are going to be yeah. or what the successes are going to be or anything in between. And mm. so I want your listeners to hear that loud and clear that like this isn't a promise of like icing on the cake and this isn't a promise of like the smoothest path forward. Um, but what yeah. I can tell you also is there's a little bit of a um, – misconception maybe maybe and I had this misconception where you thought well I always wanted to adopt but I have student debt or I can't afford that and there's data um, if you go to forgottenadoptionoption.com I actually have like a chart of the tens of thousands of dollars that it costs to adopt infants and to adopt internationally 
What often people don't understand is that when you adopt these children who are waiting in foster care, the financial cost isn't your problem because the state's covering nearly all of it. Out of pocket, you might be out $2,500. You're going to get this federal state credit, state tax credit, that is like $14,000. They're going to pay for health care for these children for their lifetime. So this isn't wow. you going, I can't afford this. I can't afford taking care of a child. No, no, no. This is you saying, am I willing to have all the resources I need all around me to guide a child through their path of healing. That's all this is. Like, will mm. I help them heal and will I commit to celebrate and to love and to navigate life with them for a lifetime? That is so beautiful. <laughs> I love that so much. And I, I don't know. I am so glad that you spoke to to the cost of it too. And um, I don't know. There's just so much. You just have so much knowledge. And I'm just so grateful that that you're sharing it with us and, and just with the world, really, <laughs> more more so. <laughs> like, um, I just think of this. I have a friend who's having difficulty having a, a baby and and like this is a, a realistic thing that that she could do you know and um did you have what would you say to a friend that that's having trouble conceiving yeah because infertility really is a driver in the yeah. adoption space and I, I even got that because my husband and I elected we chose to adopt we have people that didn't know us very well so it's kind of awkward they were like so um are you are you dealing with infertility yeah which is awkward because you're like why, why is that assumed, right? And I, I think what we need to honor is that some families do pursue adoption because of infertility. And that's yeah. wonderful. It doesn't have to be your only reason to do it, right? Yeah. But I, I, I have those friends in my life. Um, there's actually a podcast episode with Ben and Emily who they have a story of infertility and they've chosen foster care adoption. And I what I would encourage, if that's your story, um, that in the terms of the hard work for you to go through is realizing you may want to project your your hopes and dreams on a child that you care for and that that could happen through any way to adopt that could happen yeah. with a baby that could it, you that you you have these desires and they're so good like to be a parent and to want to love is so good but really checking your heart to recognize okay if i'm adopting my role is going to be it's going to have additional responsibility because i need to be able to help this child know of their adoption story and man that might yeah. be hard it's hard for me sometimes to know my kids have another mom and yeah. another dad right but for us to love this family well that we don't have a lot of we missouri is a closed adoption state we don't connect with them we will eventually reintroduce them my kids know all of this um but to to love this family well to give their kids, to give our kids, really, we're raising them in different ways, right, the knowledge of their story. And I think that's a really important part for anyone that goes in the adoption space, infertility or not, as a background of, can I really be vulnerable and let a child process this? I had a mom recently who had a daughter who was adopted through foster care, and the brother was with another family and adopted, and they were like local neighbors. And so the kids knew they were siblings. The kids didn't know they were adopted. And this little girl was having, like, her sixth birthday. And the mom reached out on LinkedIn, and she was like, okay, hey. <laughs> and, and we actually scheduled a phone call, and she was like, I'm struggling because my daughter doesn't know she's adopted, and she's six. And I was trying to help her see, and she did it. It was amazing. Is is the gift you give a child to help them know their story. Like, this mm. isn't a sinful thing. This isn't an yeah. icky thing. This isn't anyone did anything wrong. This is you letting them know their story. And there's ways to tell the story, right? Like, in, in, in a situation of – I'm really excited to share with you, you have this special quality you're adopted. And the reason why is because your first family couldn't care for you. And it could be other things that are part of that. It was harmful or it was dangerous. You know, the stories kind of vary, but 
But I want to let you know that that's special because God takes care of your journey. Yeah. And I'm part of that with you. And we're your family and we love you. And to me, that's like one of hundreds of conversations you're going to have with your children about their adoption story. Yeah. But being, I think, especially in the infertility space, if that makes you uncomfortable, because it probably did some of you, recognizing that that's okay to be uncomfortable, but putting in that heart work to be ready for it mm. and to help, you're going to help the child best by giving that as an open story. And we, yeah. we call them family conversations in my home. So we have things my kids know that we don't like publicly share. And we have very open dialogue. They ask questions like as they've been going through puberty, like, hey, I, I, I'm reading this devotional and it talks about how, which finger's the longest or which toe or hair color. Which of my bio parents do I take after? And sometimes I have a great answer. And sometimes I'm like, I didn't pay attention to that. I'm so sorry. You know, and they're, yeah. they're great about it. And I'm like, I feel kind of like a jerk as your mom because I don't know these details. And my kids mm. are like, but you're not, mom. Like, you're letting me ask you. And that's a gift, right? And sometimes yeah. they ask questions that I don't want to answer. Uh, uh, one that comes up often is, so what was my last name? Mm. And my husband and I have shared with them, we know that answer. And we love you, and we're choosing at this time to not share that with you. Now, as they've gotten older, it's shifted slightly where we say, however, if you would like to challenge that and you want to talk through why you think you're ready, we are open to hearing that. But our, our perspective right now is, like, you have a tablet all day at school. Right, that's It's going to distract you. And I've done, you know, I've read this research study about kids that weren't really engaged with their adoptive family were contacting or, you know, messaging the bio family, and things get kind of weird. So... That's just some of the stuff you kind of have to be open yeah. to navigating together. And I don't always have answers. Sometimes my kids ask stuff, and I'm like, I don't know how to respond to you right now. Can I get some time? <laughs> yeah. I love that you are that you let them have those questions and that you're honest. And, and like, it would be so easy to hide that stuff, mm -hmm. you know, and just be like, well, I don't know, and brush it off. Because it like, feels safe, right? Yeah. It feels safe to preserve yourself, to be like, there's actually not any other person in your life. You it's know. me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, but you give them that that freedom because they are people. And, and like, right. I think about this with my kids. Like, they're my kids. They're your kids. But mm -hmm. but they're not. I'm partnering with God to raise these kids. Right. And, and I don't get to keep them forever. They're going to go and live a whole life. And, and, like, what we're doing now is guiding them and, and hopefully, like, them taking – the reins on their story is giving them a huge advantage in their um, adult lives and how they're going to parent their kids or uh, adopt their kids or right. whatever um, and just ultimately live their lives and interact with other people and, and love people, right. you right. know. So I just really appreciate you and your boldness and your vulnerability because it's difficult and not, not everybody's doing it. Not everybody's mm -hmm. talking about it. And in, in a day where – um, abortion is is a topic and that, that you have a relevant answer and like we don't have to we have another option right the forgotten adoption option and I, I just it's really beautiful so um, I'm gonna have all of the links to all the things and show notes which I haven't done yet but I'm excited because you got all the links all the things <laughs> so I'm excited to share this with with other people and just to talk to you and I don't know. I just really appreciate you. So thank you so much, I Marcy. I'm so encouraged by it. I do feel there's one more story I just want to share yeah, with, yeah. that may encourage someone in the space of like, how do we talk about this in like a bold and open way? My son about a year ago had met a young woman about his age that had schizophrenia and he had never heard about what that even was. Yeah. And so being the loving, empathetic child that he is, he said to her, what does that mean? And she said, well, I see things and I hear things that others don't. So he's recounting the story to me. And I was like, 
how did you respond to that? And he goes, well, mom, I just asked her what she saw. And I listened while she described it. Mm. And to me, like such a gentle way to help people be real, right? Yeah. That it wasn't, oh, that's really weird, right? Like yeah. he, didn't, he didn't have any sort of judgment on her. It was more just help me understand the shoes that you're in. Help me understand the, understand the view of the world that you see the world in mm. so that I can better celebrate you, right? Like if it's whatever the figure is that she sees, he could ask about that in a couple of days. Have you seen it for a while? What's it doing? Because in her life, it's a character, right? Yeah. And so I just wanted to share that as encouragement with people that if there's something that feels uncomfortable like that, and maybe you even know someone in your family, maybe this is like beyond the adoption conversation, but it's more just mental health and understanding people. If there's a way that you can just invite people to share their point of view, I think there's so much beauty we can bring to the world when we can understand why people think that way or what they see that maybe we don't see. That's so good. Thank you so much, Marcy. Thank you. I really appreciate every single person that tunes in. It means so much to me. If you wouldn't mind taking the time to give me a five-star review on however you're listening, Spotify, iTunes, and um, I would love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram. And I'll see you guys next week.